0: Welcome to the MarTech
1: Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to discuss the recent turbulence in the banking industry and what it means for the MarTech industry. Joining us is Ian Kay, who's the executive director at Fifth Third Bank, which operates four main businesses, including commercial banking, branch banking, consumer lending, and wealth and asset management. Headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio, Fifth Third Bank is among the largest money managers in the Midwest. And Ian is not only part of their corporate banking team, he's also my former roommate. So I'm going to bust his chops here and we're going to learn a little bit about what happened to SVB. Ian K is also a former employee of Silicon Valley Bank. And today we're going to talk about just that. What happened to Silicon Valley Bank? All right, here is the first part of my conversation with Ian K, the executive director at Fifth Third Bank. Ian, I can't believe our world's colliding. I can't believe you are actually going to be my guest here on the MarTech Podcast. You're in my world now, Grandma. Welcome (laughs) to the MarTech Podcast.
2: It's come full circle. I used to steal food out of the refrigerator when we lived together from you, and now we're talking about a bank blowing up. It's an unbelievable world we live in.
1: Dude, you broke my couch the first week you moved into my apartment, and I still haven't forgot about it, but maybe being my guest on the MarTech Podcast is your chance to make up for it. So... I think the people here don't want to hear me wax poetic about how much better the Golden State Warriors are than the Cleveland Cavaliers, a conversation you and I have had many times. They probably want to hear something relevant to what's happening with marketing, capital markets, actually something you might know a little bit about other than championships in the NBA. So Ian, as much as I want to give underhanded comments about our basketball teams, can you tell me what the hell just happened to Silicon Valley Bank?
2: Honestly, it's really unprecedented. And you look back at oh eight when Bear Stearns went down, that was more of a kind of getting greedy, self-inflicted wound. Here you have a little bit of both and I kind of break it down for you guys. So FCB has a different business model than a lot than many banks globally. So they focus obviously on the tech sector. They bank fifty percent of the startups in the entire country. So key player in that tech ecosystem. And a majority of their clients are not making money, so they are funding these companies who raise these large capital rounds. So think about a company raising a hundred million on a Series C. SVB would come in with like around twenty or twenty-five million of venture debt or some kind of debt facility to help accelerate growth and also to help the capital structure and extend runway and give more liquidity. So these companies would all bank with SVB and they come in with these huge deposits, right? Like I said, they're raising these large rounds. And so SCB was once, I think, a $19 billion bank like 10 years ago. And through growth and all this, it grown to like a $212 billion bank, 16th largest bank in the country. Insane, crazy growth. And a lot of that growth was with these large, large deposits. Rounds got bigger, more capital came in, debt was cheap. So they definitely capitalize on that. And so when a bank, what they do with these deposits, when they get these large, large deposits, they got to do something with it. So most of the time, all these banks invest like how you and I would invest. And so they decided in, I think, 2019 to buy a bunch of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities.
1: So mortgage-backed securities, that's what got us into some trouble in 2008. Basically, you're taking somebody's mortgage or a whole bunch of different mortgages, You're rolling them up into one financial product, and you're basically betting on the housing market to have a return, right? That's the same thing that happened in 2008, but the bottom fell out of the housing market. My same type of securities?
2: Yes, but you got to keep in mind, there's been a ton of regulations since 08 to prevent that. And What happened with the mortgage-backed securities in 08, they're giving loans to anybody. Your sons could go get a loan. Would you trust your sons with any type of loan?
1: I don't trust my sons with lightsaber plastic toys yet, so no, not ready for an entire mortgage.
2: So those mortgage rem- mortgage-backed mortgage securities, some of them are made up with poor FICO scores, poor credit, because they had houses and banks were greedy wanted interest rates, wanted income, and fees, and fees, and fees, and fees, and fees. they gave loans to anybody they wanted. So that's all done now. So the mortgage-backed okay. securities that SB invest-, invest in now has nothing to do with it. They're probably sound assets, safe assets, like a treasury bond.
1: Okay. So they're taking the money in from all the venture capitalists that give their money to the startups, and then the bank has the money, and then they go invest that money into a bunch of other stuff to try to turn their, you mentioned, $200 million into $210 million, and that's the bank's profit. So what went wrong?
2: Well, this is what happened. So... All of those billions and billions of dollars that are managing all of these deposits, 56% of them went into treasuries and mortgage backed securities. When you look at fifth third on our balance sheet, we only did like maybe 15 or 10%. And we bought ours in 2022 when rates were somewhat better, were pretty decent. So okay. S&P bought all theirs in 2019. So they bought it like at 1%. So mm-hmm. what's happened since 2019, Ben, is interest rates have just skyrocketed very quickly. So. There's a direct correlation. When interest rates go up, bonds go down. So okay. they hold those bonds on the balance sheet, and the value of those bonds go down. That makes sense?
1: Yeah. So they basically bought an asset that became a devalued asset because the interest rates
2: increased. Exactly. And so these were all long duration. They all are 10-year maturities. So when you're holding a bond making 1%, but there's bonds out there now that are making like 5%. Where are people going to put their money? So what they did was, all right, hey, how about this? We will go ahead and take a loss on these bonds and sell the assets and take the loss, go raise equity and fresh capital in the markets to absorb their loss. And they were trying to sell equity from the company and also and in get inject equity from like a private equity as well.
1: Okay. So let me make sure that I understand this because that seems like it's important. The SVB takes a bunch of money, takes $200 billion from all the venture capitalists and all the startups around the world. And they put all this money into some things that they think are relatively safe. The interest rate goes up, the assets that they invested in became less valued. And all of a sudden they don't have the same value that they had. Now, I understand that that's why the... SVB stock is worth less, that there's a 10-year maturity to some of the bonds and some of the assets that they bought, and they're not worth $200 million anymore. What I don't understand is why that led to this sort of crisis and them dissolving the bank. Okay, so they lost a bunch of money. Obviously, that's not great, but not like everybody was asking for their deposits all at once. They had $200 billion, they lost a bunch of money, goes down to $100 billion, but people aren't asking them for the rest of the money right now. Is that the case?
2: No, no. So you're kind of getting there. So what really happened is when they posted this loss, it was $2 billion. So that's a gigantic loss. It's a realized loss. All right. They're not going to carry down their books. They realize when you sell a stock, you realize that gain. If you don't sell the stock and it's gaining, you don't realize it. But here they sold everything. They automatically realize that loss and what happened was Ben is that flipped their assets and liabilities upside down and it killed their equity and so technically they were insolvent which means they have a lot more liabilities and a lot less assets so it killed their equity value that's what this thing did and once that got wore out the VC funds were like oh if this thing is insolvent we got to get our money out we're only insured up to 250k and they're handling Billions of deposits. So you're seeing the VC funds. Peter Thiel even said, hey, I'm telling all my companies to take all their money out of SVB. So if SVB had time, Ben, to raise money, I believe they would have gone out of this. But everything happened so quickly. And because the VCs freaked out and pulled their money, that was the thing that killed the bank, in my opinion. A
1: special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. I've got $200 billion in a bank, and I tell everybody, hey, guys, I lost $2 billion. I'm going to need to raise some capital to make sure that I have enough money to cover my deposits. Venture capitals hear that, and they say, uh-oh, this bank only has $198 billion. They've got $2 billion of deposits. If everybody pulls them, not everybody's going to get paid. I'm pulling my money first. That is essentially what started this downward spiral. Am I getting it right?
2: Yeah, it's called a bank run, which is a death to a bank because all banks live off deposits.
1: Okay, so everybody starts pulling their money out of the bank, and all of a sudden, yikes! There's a bank run. One person starts pulling, and somebody else hears about it, and we're all pulling our money out of the bank, and there's not enough money to cover all of the deposits. So it seems like that's when the federal government stepped in, Am I, or I guess it was the state of California as well. Is that what stopped the sort of bank run?
2: That's exactly it. So that created mayhem and panic. And you got to keep in mind, not a lot of people like retail, like you don't see the retail banks of, around the state of California for SVBs, right? They take a lot of big chunks of money. So it's not like you and I banking with them. A lot of them is business banking.
1: Yeah, we're not going to the ATM and taking out our startup's capital to pay payroll.
2: Exactly. So the combination of both of those really killed them. And one, I think the VCs panicking. That was the second part. But the first part was SUB buying those bonds in 2019, and honestly, falling asleep at the wheel because we all knew interest rates were rising. Fed was up front with it. Biden administration's up front with it. We want to get inflation down, so they kept raising rates. If SUB tackled this earlier and not all at once, they'd probably be out of this situation and still be around.
1: Okay, so their problem was that they made the decision all at once to start basically flipping the capital that they lost. They recognized the whole loss at one period of time and everybody got spooked and the VCs said, give me my money because I don't want to be the last person in line.
2: Yeah, basically.
1: So talk to me about the response to this. It seems like now there's been an announcement that everybody is insured. All the deposits from SVP are guaranteed by the FDIC. What's FDIC? How are they insuring this? Who's paying the bill now that the federal government and the state of California have come in and said everybody's going to get their money back?
2: What they did is they probably have lines of credit from the government that's helping out, but they're not getting a bailout because SCB, its core business, is actually phenomenal in doing well. And what I mean by that, Ben, is the companies that they were lending to, the funds that they were funding through the subscription business, their wealth management, their investment banking, all of them were performing. Like if you look at the bank itself, it's a performing bank. So when the FDIC came in and looked at their assets and they probably were able to recoup most of the money. But also, they had to t- draw some on the Fed line to help put in more capital. So, the public combination of both, it's not a pure bailout when they're getting these huge checks. Not at all, obviously, because SB is not around anymore. So, they come in and their main goal was to back the depositors. And they've done that and they did a great job. The ones who are going to be out are the shareholders and the bondholders on the bank.
1: Okay, so explain this to me in English now. This is not a government bailout. So SVB has all of their deposits drawn and they're billions of dollars short, being able to pay back every the deposits they want to draw from the bank. And the government steps in and says, OK, somebody needs to pay for these billions of dollars. How is that not a government
2: bailout? Because they're using assets sold. I'm not exactly sure of how the semantics work, but they're going to break apart the bank and sell it. And there's definitely value in assets to all the loans out there, they can sell those. And they may get 80 cents dollar, they may get 100 cents, they'll get something for it. They're gonna get money for those loans. But this is not coming from our taxes, it's coming from the Fed's line of liquidity credit, which they already have. Like my bank, we can draw on $60 billion if we need it. We don't need to do that. But they have lines of credit for these situations to help back depositors and also get people paid back.
1: Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is that the bank as an institution had lines of credit with the federal government that were existing that they can draw from. They also had assets that basically are going to be put up for sale that are more than the value of the balance of deposits that they wouldn't be able to pay back.
2: And so... I would think. I would think, yes.
1: Okay. So essentially, the bank was actually still more valuable than the total amount of deposits. They just didn't have that. It's a liquidity crunch. They didn't have that much cash on hand. So when everybody asks for their money back they can't actually give them the cash. It's sitting there in another asset class that has to be liquidated and then given.
2: Ben, you hit it right in the head. And that's the difference between what happened in 08 and right now. 08, that was a credit problem. You had people defaulting on loans galore. In this situation, no credit problem, no customers, large customers defaulting and them taking a write-off. It was purely, it seemed like a self-inflicted kill for them. So that's the difference. There's nothing to do with the bank's customers or credit profile, or anything like that. It was literally just the risk management of those deposits.
1: And now, Ian, last question I have for you today. You used to work at Silicon Valley Bank, and I remember you saying it was a place that you enjoyed working. You had great relationships with the people that were there. It seems like a portion of this was, let's put it bluntly, mismanagement in terms of when to buy the right assets, like... They played their hand relatively badly, and it ended up resulting in them defaulting. Reconcile this for me. The people that work at Silicon Valley Bank or worked at Silicon Valley Bank are your peers, people that you've had a great relationship with, but you're saying that there's some mismanagement here. Who is at fault here for this mistake?
2: It's definitely none of the people I worked with. This has nothing to do with the lending team or any of the core employees. It starts at the C-suite. And every bank has a chief risk officer or treasurer. And their job is, like I said, take those deposits and invest them. Because bank makes something called net interest margin. Let me explain what that is real quick. So Ben, you make 1% on your checking account, they take your deposits and they invest it and they try to make more than 1% and that's called their net interest margin. So that's a job of a treasurer or a chief risk officer. And to be honest with you, they fell asleep at the window and same with the CEO. I mean, I've met Greg Becker, really nice guy. I think he's a really smart CEO. He grew FCB immensely the past 40 years. So like I said, it's not a credit issue. It's the C-suite falling asleep at the wheel, sitting on these bonds where they knew rates were just going to keep increasing increasing. That's what it is.
1: You know, I'm going to pull this back to marketing here for a second that everybody's listening to. Sure, we're not bankers. We're not CFOs. Hopefully we're CMOs. And it sounds like what we're hearing about with Silicon Valley Bank is something that happens in marketing a lot. You fall asleep at the wheel. You rely on one marketing channel. Boy, my Google ads have been performant forever. I was reliant on Facebook and Instagram to drive my e-commerce sales. Well, look, all of a sudden there is a seismic shift. Apple pulls the data from Facebook. All of a sudden the targeting isn't as good and, and you keep relying on that channel because it's been performing and performing, and you're just not continually innovating and you're not paying attention You're not focused on what the market conditions are right now. And the next thing you know, your marketing program can be the next SVP. And we're going to talk about what that means in our next episode. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Ian Kay, Executive Director at Fifth Third Bank. Join us again tomorrow when Ian and I continue our conversation talking about what SVP's collapse means for the MarTech industry. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Ian, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. Or you can visit his company's website, which is Fifth Third Bank, which is 53.com.